This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to turn to our readings for this morning. Uh, The first one is Proverbs chapter 25 from verse 11 to 20 and then second one is Romans chapter 12 verse 9 to 18. So Proverbs chapter 25 and starting at verse 11. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you, and they will hate you. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. And then flicking over to Romans in chapter 12, and starting at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
Lovely, thanks Rory. Um, <laughs> my name's Tom, I'm uh, one of the uh, ministers here and uh, very good to welcome you this morning to church and to any still joining us online, welcome and uh, a particular warm welcome if you are uh, new, if you're visiting, if this is your first morning with us, it's great to have you here. Let's pray together, shall we, as we, as we come to the Word of God. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Proverbs 25. Father, we, uh, we do want to thank you, um, as we will pray later as well, we want to thank you for Saffron. And we want to thank you for her ministry to us and among us over these past three years. We uh, thank you for her love for people, uh, for the gift that you've given her to, um, to get to know all different kinds of people and for her, uh, for her devotion, for her heart to see uh, people one to Christ. And uh, we thank you for the blessing that she's um, been as a staff member. Pray for her as she goes to um, this new job, working in a secular environment for the first time. Uh, We pray that you would help her to do the work she's got to do with all diligence, to see everything that she does, from the little jobs to the large jobs, as a means of serving you. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we can do it all in the name of God, to the glory of Christ. So help her to have that focus as she goes to her work and also to be able to build Um, relationships, to build links, uh, have conversations with people and to still have that opportunity and that time to share Jesus uh, with with her new colleagues and those she works with. So thank you for her. And Lord, as we come to this uh, amazing chapter now, we pray that you would um, help us. This is uh, uh, not just something that we do to fill time. Um, This is the word of the living God, your words inspired to us, faithfully given, faithfully preserved across the generations, and they have come to us on this day, in this moment, and uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us open ears, open eyes, willing hearts that want to receive, repent, change, and um, just be so grateful for all that you've done for us in Christ. So uh, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this may be um, in, in bad taste at the moment, um, given the times that we find ourselves in, but I want to take you um, into a financial crisis. Um, we're going back in time to 2008, and uh, the biggest financial crash since the Depression is coming. Uh, the world's banking system is about to collapse um, Lehman Brothers or Lehman Brothers or however you say it, one of the, one of the most famous well-known banks of all time is about to collapse. In a single day, £90 billion is going to be wiped off the value of some of Britain's biggest companies and millions and millions of people are going to, are going to feel the crunch. And on the 16th of September, despite all of that, Just hours after Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, a magazine hits the shelves. It's the October issue of Smart Money, which was the magazine uh, of, of the Wall Street Journal. So it hits the shelves, the October version, on September the 16th. And the headline, the front page, is this. Double your nest egg. Now is the time to jump into cheap stocks, funds, and real estate. (laughs) Now, at perhaps any other time in history, that may have been fairly sound, sensible advice, but that was the day when the stock market started its worst drop in a hundred years, and the whole banking system was on the eve of total collapse. That was literally the worst day to be investing in stocks, funds, and real estate. Yeah? You see how potentially good advice 
became dreadful. Not because of the content exactly, but because of the timing. On many days, investing like that may be a, you know, a reasonably wise thing to do. But as I say, on that day, it was the worst thing you could have done. The advice in isolation may have been okay. The climate in which it landed made it anything but okay. And there's a principle there which I think is worth us exploring. You think about some of the advice that you've given to people in the past. Or think about some of the advice that you have been given. It may have, in isolation, been perfectly true. The content may have been fine. And it may have been coming from a good place in the sense that their heart was right towards you. But for whatever reason, the timing just made it so unhelpful. Classic example, a relationship has just fallen apart. A friend saddles up next to you. Don't worry, there's plenty more fish in the sea. As a statement, it's true in isolation. And in six months' time, a year's time, five, ten years' time, I may be ready to fish again. But at that time... It's just not the greatest bit of advice, freshly coming out of a broken relationship. So you can see how content and timing really matter. Now, I know that plenty more fish in the sea is a bit of a cliche, a bit of an unreal example, but it leads us towards something true that we see in these Proverbs, and that's this. That loving speech, in order to speak lovingly and well, we need wisdom. Loving speech requires growing in wisdom. Proverbs has loads to say about this, and we see it in this chapter. There is both a what to say, and there is a when to say it. There is content that we need to know, and there is timing in people's lives that we need to appreciate. There is knowledge that we need to have of the truth, and there is sensitivity to people and what they're going through. Proverbs 25 would tell us that the right words at the right time, well presented, are a wonderful blessing. But the opposite is also true. The right words at the right time can be a wonderful blessing. The right words at the wrong time can be painful to hear. And the wrong words at any time can just be nothing short of destructive. And so those are the three categories of things that we're going to look at this morning. We'll begin with the negative and work towards the positive, and the points will get longer as we go. The first point is the destruction of evil speech. The second point will be the pain of careless speech. And the third point will be the beauty of timely speech. And so let's begin with the worst and work towards the best, the destruction of of evil speech or evil words. Have a look with me at verse 14. Proverbs 25, if you've closed it, um, do get it open. Verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Now, you may have seen last week, or even over the, even over the weekend, if you've been looking at the news, um, there are large areas of the UK and Europe now that, that are in drought conditions. And uh, therefore, we're, we're seeing things like hosepipe bans coming in, um, crops potentially being threatened, 
fires starting, uh, grass looking yellow, rivers running low, reservoirs depleting, all the kinds of things you get in drought conditions. And they're saying that it may go on for, for, for quite a while. Um, but you imagine, and there are people like this in the world, uh, where that was your living conditions for most of the year, where that was the reality that you lived in. You lived day after day after day within a drought. You know, if that's your life, a hosepipe ban is the least of your worries. You may not even own one. Living in a drought is a dreadful thing. But then you imagine the good news that after seasons and months of drought, on the horizon you see a cloud promising rain. You see it forming off in the distance. The wind picks up and the wind is moving in your direction. It brings the cloud over your head and over the crops that you've so loved and want to see revived. You're waiting and anticipating that first cool drop of rain. But then the wind carries it on. It passes, never refreshes, never gives, doesn't drop its rain and is gone as soon as it came. The disappointment. All that refreshment that was promised, but no reality. It's interesting that in the New Testament, this is applied to false teachers. Jude says of false teachers, there are shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. See how they're described. These false teachers come into the church and they promise refreshment. They've got a gospel that is rich with mercy. It's going to bring you new life. It's going to transform your life. It's, it promises so much when they arrive. But what it delivers is a legalism or a license for sin or some kind of exploitation of, of, of some kind. They arrive and they open their Bibles and the promise of refreshment is coming. The cloud is coming over the horizon. But it never comes. That is what it is like to boast in a gift that never arrives. Always bigging ourselves up. Boasting of what we can do. Boasting of what we will do. Making promises that we will deliver. It is coming. We can do it. We have the capacity. We are able and willing. Always a promise that the gift is just around the corner. But look back. And it's a trail of disappointment. It's just so different from the Lord Jesus, isn't it? When he begins his ministry and he arrives on the horizon and John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is, the promised one that we've been looking to. He's come. The promise of mercy, of springs in the desert, of rest for the weary. His clouds of mercy are about to break over our heads. And they do. And he delivers more refreshment than we could even imagine or hope for. Verse 18. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. So this is like walking into an armory. This proverb is a pileup of weapons. You've got swords, you've got clubs, you've got arrows, you've got handguns, you've got flick knives, you've got M16s. It's just an arsenal, walking into an arsenal and seeing all these weapons stacked up. And of course, they mean different things. Each one tells a story. You see, what kind of weapon is an arrow? Is it one that you use close up? No, it's one that you use from a distance. 
This is the kind of false testimony that is so easy to spread from behind your computer. A bit of fake advice shared online, a bit of fake news, a fake image posted, and then you can simply watch back, watch, sit back and watch the lie do its work. Watch the arrow pierce someone and destroy them from the safety of your own home. Or there's the flick knife, which is the up-close and personal lie, and that's particularly brutal because you can look into the eye of the one who's doing it to you. This is a lie, perhaps, from someone that you know, someone that you trust, someone in your life who has turned. False testimony is a weapon. That's what this proverb is saying. False testimony and spreadable lies. They ruin reputations. They destroy people's marriages. They wreck people's companies. They can split people's churches. And they can vandalize people's image. But it also harms the one who gives the false testimony. There's an old Chinese proverb which is about revenge, but it works for this too. If you lie about your neighbor, you dig two graves. One for them and one for you. If you lie about your neighbor, if you live by lies, you dig two graves. You ruin the reputation and the life of the one you lie against, but in the process you destroy your own soul. The false testimony that the lie is a destructive evil word. And again, by looking at the negative, it's amazing how the Lord Jesus just shines. It's altogether different from this, isn't it? He calls himself the way and the life and the truth. And here's the thing with Jesus. Not only did he never tell a lie, it was impossible for him to lie. He, he cannot lie. He is an altogether truth-telling, reliable, dependent saviour. And not one of his good promises has ever failed. And not one word we read from his lips will fail to come true. He is altogether truthful. And when we know him, the Bible says, we enjoy great freedom. Know the truth, said Jesus, and the truth will set you free. I can lay down my weapons now. I don't have to lie anymore in order to save face. I can accept my mistakes without it crushing me because the truth has set me free. I don't have to lie anymore because I'm jealous of other people. I don't have to lie in order to put them down because I want to look good. Because the truth has set me free. God made me. God knows me. He loves me as I am. He saved me. And therefore I can rejoice with those who rejoice even if they've got more than I can. More than I have. Don't need to lie about them anymore. The truth sets us free. Proverbs 14.25 A truthful witness saves lives. That's Jesus, isn't it? A truthful witness saves lives. How different he is from the destructive power of false testimony. So firstly, just a couple examples. The destructive power of evil words. Secondly, let's look at the pain of careless words. The pain of careless words. And the word careless is, is quite important here. I, you see, I don't think when Smart Money magazine published that magazine, they intended to do people harm. I don't think they thought, let's publish this and wreck as many people's finances as we can. I guess they wanted to help, and I guess it came from a good place. And the same is often true for us. 
Many, many times, and surely you will have experienced this if you've been a Christian for any length of time, many times we say careless things, not because we set out to provoke someone or to be insensitive. That wasn't our goal when we initiated conversation with them. In fact, it was the opposite. We thought, well, I don't want to ignore this person. I love them, and I basically want to move towards them and do good by them. But just the way I said it or the timing made it, made it careless. Often the motive is right, even if the timing is wrong. And as Christians, if we're on the receiving end of that advice, we should really try to give it the best reading we can. You see, love hopes all things, Paul says. In other words, when we get advice like that, even if it comes at a lousy time, we want to assume the best motives, to give it the best reading, to assume that they really do love us and did actually want the best for us and didn't want to ignore us. You see, there are, there are, some, there are some Christians who, um, for them, it's always the wrong time to be spoken to. Um, it doesn't matter what you say or how you say it, it's always offensive, always insensitive, and always comes at the wrong time. And they seem to take a kind of pleasure in proving that you're an insensitive person. We don't want to be like that, do we? So prickly that everything we hear, every help offered is insensitive, badly put, unhelpful. We want to be grateful for each other when we try to, when we try to speak. But nonetheless, Proverbs would say, no, there, there is a type of speech which is kind of deliberately careless, which is just thoughtless and lazy. Have a look at verse 20. I think it's the best example in the chapter. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Is it wrong to encourage joy in other people? It can't be, can it? Are there many occasions when that is exactly what we need to hear? There are. But in this proverb, the timing is way off, and worse, it's damaging. Both of those images, you take away a garment from someone on a cold day, or you pour vinegar into their wound to try to treat them, they, they are both images of unhelpful painful bits of advice that we have been given or that we give. It's the opposite of what Paul says in Romans 12, isn't it? Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That's the right way round. And therefore to see somebody who is mourning and to conclude that what they need is more merriment in their lives, what they need is to be overwhelmed with calls to rejoice, is insensitive, is lazy, is painful. And that's the point that both Proverbs and Romans 12 are making. Uh, when it comes to one another, love isn't casual about the grief that people go through. It doesn't assume that if we sing long enough and loud enough, people will just get over it. It works hard to try to understand to try to work out what would be the best word for them at this time. When it's right to rejoice, I want to rejoice with them. When it's right to mourn, I want to mourn with them. But what I don't want to do is summon them to a kind of false, unreal emotion, set a bar for them which they'll never reach, and which is only really going to do them more harm than good. That's the sort of pain of careless speech. And again, you think about how 
different Jesus is. John 11, you know that story. He turns up to a funeral. Lazarus is dead. Mary is weeping. And what does he do? With those who weep, he weeps. But then he says, Mary, your brother will rise again. It is a perfect blend of truth and sensitivity. It is a perfect blend of knowledge and understanding. Exactly what was needed and exactly what we would expect from the very incarnation of love. No careless words, no laziness, just a proper, hard-working, understanding sort of love. That's what the Proverbs are calling us to. So there we go. Destruction of evil speech, the pain of careless speech. Thirdly and lastly, let's look at the beauty of timely speech. The beauty of timely speech. And here's verse 11 to, uh, to 12. Uh, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Now, originally, the word like isn't in that proverb. So it just reads, apples of gold in silver settings, a word spoken in its season. So the like isn't there. Apples of gold in settings of silver, a word spoken in its season. And what the proverb is wanting us to do is to say, you think about how they relate. Here's two images for you. A word spoken rightly, apples in settings of silver. Here's two thoughts for you. Now you do the hard work of putting them together. What's the link? Is it the quality of the word? The word is golden. It's weighty. It's precious. It's full of content. It's worth hearing. Is it the setting or how the word is presented? It comes in settings of silver. Does that mean that the manner and the tone and the presentation of the apple are just as important as the apple itself? You don't want to serve a golden apple in a naff receptacle, do you? You want to match beauty with beauty. You've got a weighty word. You want to present it well and graciously and draw everyone's attention to it. Well, that's got to be right. Or is it about the timing at which this word comes? So the New Living Translation takes that line and takes it, timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. In other words, this is the best of apples, golden, harvested at just the right time, picked at its peak and served to you when it's best. It comes at the right time. Is it the quality of the word? Is it the presentation? Is it the timing? It's got to be all of those things, hasn't it? The proverb is saying that a quality word, graciously presented, exactly when you need it, is a precious treasure. It's unmatched in its beauty. And not just those words which are pleasant to hear. That's also true of words which are harder to hear. So you have a look at verse 12. These two go together. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Now, how do you get to the point as a person where receiving a rebuke is precious? How do you see it as a beautiful thing? Well, not because it's always pleasant to hear, not because it's nice to admit and confront our failings, but because when we're wise, there is something more precious to us than how we look or what people think of us, and that's wisdom. That's the thing we're after. 
We don't see the opinions of other people as the most precious thing in our lives. There's something more valuable thereafter. And therefore, if a wise rebuke is going to help me get there, well, I'm going to embrace it. Because that's my end goal. My end goal isn't to look great in front of everybody. My end goal is to be wise. And therefore, if you can help me with a timely rebuke to be wise, I'm not saying it's always going to be pleasant, but in the end, it will be seen to be precious because it's taken me where I want to go, which is wisdom. See the beauty of these kinds of words. Maybe you've had something like that in the past. Someone has spoken to you and uh, maybe the rebuke has come in the form of a question to get you to look inside and check your own motives. Maybe it's just been a, a, a straight word. And looking back, you think, do you know what? Even though I was a bit resistant at first, that, that actually was exactly what I needed to hear. That came at just the right time. And as I look back, I'm so thankful for that. Because that's taken me to a better place than I, than I was. Beauty of timely words. Verse 13. Like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to the ones who send him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. Now in this part of the world, harvest could be a very dangerous time. Uh, you might remember we looked at this series in, uh, in 2 Kings some time ago. And one of the stories we looked at was the Shunammite son in 2 Kings chapter 4. And in that chapter, the son is out in the field with the dad and the reapers at harvest time. And he seems to die of heat stroke. He suddenly says, uh, Father, my head, my head. And then he is taken back and he dies. And lots of commentators think that is a sort of heat-induced death working out in the harvest, bearing the sun of the day and dying of some, some sort of heat stroke. And still, still today, you know, the heat, it's, you know, don't mess with it. Those are the warnings we're getting. Amber, yellow, red, you know, don't mess with the heat. It can be a very dangerous thing. But get this, if you, if, I mean, if you happen to be rich, apparently what you could do when the harvest was really hot is you could pay people to go up into the mountains and bring down snow for you, uh, which is an amazing thought, isn't it? So the harvest is boiling. You and your workers are suffering. You pay some people to trek up into the mountains and haul a load of snow down for you so that you, you know, when you're out in the, in the harvest, you can have your ice box or your snow box with your iced coffee inside or, or whatever you want. And uh, you, could, you could make sure that even in the hottest, worst conditions, you had these refreshing icy luxuries and so the point of that proverb is I want you to imagine iced coffee may not be your thing but imagine what would be total refreshment for you imagine a scene of total refreshment now who is like that says the proverb a trustworthy messenger is like that one who is totally refreshing maybe you can think of an example in your own life where you've been going through some kind of heat whether that be an illness that you've been going through or a testing relationship that you're in or a disappointment of some kind or financial hardships that you're going through or anticipating and a word comes to you like an ice-cold drink. It is so, in the heat that you're going through, it is so refreshing, so wise, so what you needed to hear in that moment. But it's not only the people who get refreshed by a messenger like that. It's the one who sends them. Notice that emphasis in the proverb. He refreshes the spirit of who? 
of his master. You might remember back in uh, March, uh, Shane Warne, who was the, uh, the great uh, Australian leg spinner, died quite, quite suddenly. And uh, like thousands of other people, I guess, I went straight onto YouTube and just wanted to re-watch some of his greatest deliveries of all time. And uh, if you're into cricket, even if you're not, I mean, some of the things that he could do with, with a cricket ball were, were unbelievable. I mean, we're talking generating multiple feet of spin, in a short time. I mean, spinning it even on glass, I reckon he could probably do. He was um, a wizard with the cricket ball, absolutely impossible to play against. And of course, if you are a spin bowler, that's exactly what you want to happen, isn't it? What makes a spin bowler so deadly is the ability to manipulate, to spin a ball, to swing a ball, to change a delivery in order that it appears like something else and deceives the batsman. It's in the job description to manipulate the delivery. Nobody wants a messenger like that. Nobody wants a messenger who puts their own spin on the delivery. Nobody wants a messenger who will manipulate the message to turn it into something other than what it was. You want that delivery to arrive in exactly the right condition. You want it to arrive in the condition that you sent it. You want a messenger like Jesus, who brings God's word without spin or deceit or manipulation, but brings it in total truth. That's the sort of messenger that you want. So easy, isn't it? When we've got a piece of news to share, something we want to say, to put our own spin on it just to slightly polish one side, to throw another person into the shade, to put ourselves into the spotlight, to do what we can to swing the delivery in our favor. But this proverb is asking us, think about your context, whether it's a university, whether it's in the office, whether it's around the wards, at a hospital, whether it's going on the school run to pick up the kids. think Can we be relied upon to handle the truth well? Can we be relied on to handle it with both integrity and sensitivity? Not to put our own spin on it, but to deliver things as they are. Because there is nothing more refreshing than a faithful messenger. There is nothing more refreshing to people and to those who send them than one who handles the truth well. The beauty of timely words, a faithful faithful messenger. Verse 15, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Now let's think about this from another angle. How else could you try to persuade a ruler? What are your options? If you work alongside someone, maybe an authority over you, and you want to try and persuade them. Well, one option is to fight fire with fire, isn't it? You can persuade them that way by trying to out-muscle them, out-shout them, and break down their resistance and get your own way. It's like in the movies, you know, sometimes you'll see dads giving advice to kids who are being bullied. 
and they'll say, my son, next time that happens, next time that bully gives you trouble, I want you to take your fist, clench it as hard as you can, and plant one on his nose with all the might that you can muster, and he will never come near you again. Yeah? That's a kind of fire with fire approach. That's how to persuade the bully not to do it. You, you show a stronger force to literally break the bone in that case. But wisdom says there's another way to get things done. William Wilberforce, um, evangelical Christian, uh, politician of the 18th and 19th century, who was hugely important in the abolition of slavery. In fact, he really spearheaded the campaign to abolish slavery in this country. He's, he's a great example of this. Apparently, I was reading this week, that in every year between 1789 and 1806, he presented a bill for the abolition of the slave trade. In every year he did it. That's 17 years. He came back year after year after year, bill after bill after bill, knockback after knockback after knockback, until finally in 1807, the bone of resistance was broken. The power of a gentle word over time. And look, some of us will have trouble in our marriages. We will have trouble in our work relationships. We will have trouble with the people that we live with because we believe that the best way to win them is always a show of strength, fire with fire, a louder voice, a more heated opinion, a stiffer neck, a refusal to bow down, and a resistance to saying sorry. We think that's the way to win people in our lives, and we have all kinds of trouble in our relationships because of that. But this proverb is saying, look, it may involve a come down, which we don't like. It may involve asking for help, which we don't like. But through patience, and with a gentle tongue, and with a forgiving spirit, even the biggest obstacles and the darkest seasons in your relationships can be broken. Those bones of resistance can be broken with a gentle word over time. Such good advice, isn't it? For tough situations, this sort of wisdom is, is unmatched. And it is exactly how Jesus treats us, isn't it? You think about how does Jesus break the bone of our pride? Sometimes he does give the short, sharp shock which we need. But very often it's the patient, over time, gentle shepherding process by which he breaks the bones of our sin so that we can love him and live more faithfully for him. You see the beauty of timely words. Proverbs 15.23 summarizes it. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word it's a great summary isn't it the ability to speak well to know what to say and when to use words with knowledge and sensitivity brings joy to everybody involved <laughs> both the one who sends that person the one who speaks that message and the one who hears it it's an all-round blessing and the great news for us this morning is that James 1 verse 5 says, if we lack wisdom and we want to grow in this area, we have a God who loves us and is generous to help us. 
James 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and when it comes to how we use words, we all need that, don't we? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a promise. If we ask God with sincere hearts, it is his delight to give and give and give generously so that we might become wise children who reflect him in every way. That's what he wants for us. He's generous to give us that wisdom if with believing hearts we will ask him. And that's where Proverbs is, is wanting us to go. You see, this, this book, and we, we've said this a number of times, isn't just trying to overwhelm us with a standard that we can't reach week after week after week. It's not just trying to say, here's a whole nother list of things. Here's Jesus. You meet that bar continually or you will die. It's saying to us, look, we have failed and we have been careless with our words, haven't we? We have seen the destruction that our evil words have caused. We have seen the pain that our careless words have caused. We have. But we have a saviour. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, who has done it all for us, who has spoken words with total grace and beauty. And best of all, he's died for all of our reckless words. Pay the penalty that we deserve, risen again, and through him we can know forgiveness for every wretched word we've spoken. And that we can come to this God and know that he is for us and he wants us to grow. And he says to us, my children, forgiven by my son, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you so that you, my child, can know the joy of giving timely, beautiful words. Let's bow our heads, shall we? And let's pray that we would be a people more and more marked by that kind of speech.